Welcome to Fangs and Folklore with your spooky host, Matthew Miller, expert in all things monster and paranormal. We give you pint-sized, bite-sized pieces of supernatural monster lore, exploring their origins, their history, and their meaning to the human condition. Listen, if you dare. <laughs> How many horror movies have you seen that have genuinely, truly scared you? I don't mean scared you in a general movie sense. Many movies do that. I'm talking about the sort of fear that you take personally that arouses your fight or flight response while you're watching it. The kind of terror that causes you to involuntarily jump and scream. The kind that causes you to release adrenaline. <laughs> the kind that defiles you down to your very soul. The kind that stays with you for days, weeks, months, even years. Can you think of movies or scenes that have done that? I'm your host, Matthew Miller, expert in all things monster, paranormal, and horror. I'm a horror writer from the dark, haunted swamps of Louisiana, and I welcome you to my terrifying world. Please check out my books on Amazon, beginning with Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story. That's Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story. It's volume one in the Gravedigger series. It's a comedy horror series about a group of failed punk rockers who keep encountering all sorts of dark creatures of the night. And it's really funny, super entertaining. Also, remember, my new editing company, PolishedNovels.com, is now up and ready. Don't think of sending your novel out into the world without top-quality professional editing. All right. <clears throat> First, I apologize that tonight's episode will not include a wine review, as usual, the new usual, because I'm feeling a little under the weather, and drinking alcohol when you're sick is not a great idea, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till the next episode. <clears throat> so that scene that scares the hell out of you, there's one scene in one particular horror movie that I rank as the undisputed, unrivaled, most terrifying and frightening scene in horror movie history. I'd like to share with you why this scene means so much to me. <clears throat> I'm talking about what is known as the hospital hall scene in the movie The Exorcist 3. Now, before I continue, I want to give proper credit to the scene in Max Schreck's, uh, Max Schreck's Nosferatu, the original silent film, where Count Orlock opens the door to um, Hutter's bedroom and enters. I think that's the best scene ever made in horror films, the best. But I rank this Exorcist 3 hall scene as the most frightening, so that's the difference there. I want to distinguish between the two. Okay, let's continue. <clears throat> in my opinion, the movie, the whole film, The Exorcist 3, is not great. Uh, it's not terrible, but nowhere uh, uh, nearly as uh, amazing and shocking as the original The Exorcist, right? That changed horror forever, <laughs> The Exorcist. <clears throat> it's not a great movie. It's not a terrible movie. It's worth a watch. It's worth a watch for sure. The good thing, though, is that the hospital hall scene can exist separate and apart from the rest of the film. It doesn't have to be in the context of the film to be appreciated. Sure, it plays a, pl plays a part in the plot, for sure, but even if you know nothing else about the movie, this scene, in my opinion, would still be perfect. So the plot of the movie, very briefly, Father Damien Karras from the first Exorcist, remember in The Exorcist, the first one, the original, he's the priest that allows Pazuzu, the demon, to enter him, then he jumps out the window, falls down the stairs, and dies, thereby saving Reagan, the possessed girl, right? Well, um, he... Uh, 
he's been he's back somehow his body's been possessed by the evil spirit of a serial killer called the Gemini killer and the Gemini killer has been dead for a while but his spirit possesses father Karras's body and this is all arranged at the hand of the master who is by the way the demon Pazuzu from the original exorcist and lieutenant William F Kinderman is investigating a new series of of uh, serial murders that mimic they're exactly like the old Gemini uh, killings and so he discovers that you know there's this possession happening and he and his, he and his friend Father Dyer another Catholic priest managed to exer, exercise the evil spirit out of Karis's body by shooting him while Karis is you know for a brief second Karis is aware of he's really Karis not the demon he says shoot me shoot me and he shoots him and that supposedly gets rid of the demons it's kind of a silly plot but it's worth a watch I mean it's just, you know it's a good it's a good you know, week week weeknight uh, film. Okay, I'm going to show you the entire hall scene, context and all. Let's watch and enjoy. Now, for the listeners, very briefly, I'll describe it uh, uh, in a moment. Um, but if you're listening, I highly recommend that you find it on YouTube, so that you can follow along, or you can at least know what we're talking about. Just search YouTube for Exorcist Three Hospital Hall Scene Complete, and you'll find it. It's the first uh, result. So it takes place in a psychiatric hospital where the Gemini killer's spirit possesses other patients at night. That's what's going on. <clears throat> uh, and there's a nurse just going about her business. Okay, so let's take a look at the scene right now. Now, in 1990, with The Exorcist 3, horror movies were a little different than they are today. It was not that long ago, really, but computer technology has advanced so much that we take it for granted in modern horror and in modern movies that there's going to be a lot of CGI, that the monster, so to speak, is going to be partially or fully CGI. But CGI, computer-generated um, uh, graphics, like... So CGI, computer-generated imagery, really came into its own in 1991 in the movie Terminator 2 Judgment Day. The scene where the Terminator walks through the prison bars, right, of his cell and kind of melts through them like, like liquid metal. It's still a rather impressive uh, feat, that scene. It's, it, it, but it was super impressive in 1991. It was huge. Another impressive step in CGI were the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park, those dinosaurs, seeing them for the first time. That was 1993. But in 1990s, most horror used practical effects. In fact, many people today, including me, wishes horror as a genre would use more practical effects instead of just CGI. I think it makes it scarier. Anyway, in any case, the hall scene, obviously, in The Exorcist 3, uses no CGI. It's all actors. This already makes it more real to the audience, right? Horror then was not as formulaic as it is today. It was more creative or something. It used plot and characters to build a story. Uh, not just scary, but a good story. I recently watched the, the 2022 uh, movie X. It's out right now. Uh, I found it to be the same. It had a great story and theme. The characters were great. It used practical effects. I thought it was a masterpiece. So if you can check out X... Uh, the movie X, it's worth it, definitely worth it. All right, so the so that's the first thing about the hallway scene in Exorcist 3. It was considered shocking in 1990. That brings us to the second thing about it. It's a jump scare. I admit it's a jump scare. Now, jump scares are controversial because they can be cheap thrills. It can be a cheap way to, to scare the audience. Startling the audience sets in action, you know, our kind of our fight or flight response just for a second, just for a brief moment. We release adrenaline and then... You know, um, it, it scares us, and then we feel a real thrill, a real danger, without actually being in real life danger. Which is why I think many people like me like love horror. But a good jump scare, a good jump scare, is not cheap and is not easy to pull off. 
I've seen a lot of movies that use cheap jump scares to make up for a lack of a good film. And you know how it goes. A character's in the bathroom looking in the mirror, right? And then they open the mirror to look in the medicine cabinet behind it. And then when they close the mirror, some kind of monster or creature corpse is reflected behind them in the mirror. It's just, it's just so stereotypical. It's been in a bunch of movies. There's some shrieking violins, right? Blah. <laughs> it's so stereotyped and common that writers have developed what I like to call the fake-out double jump scare, <laughs> where they set up that jump scare first in the mirror. Then when they close it, there's nothing behind them. You're expecting it, but they're not. Then the character turns around and there's the monster. <laughs> so they know audiences have become so accustomed to this mirror jump scare that they have to like do a double one. It's it's cheap, predictable, right? What's next, the triple jump scare? So what makes it cheap and predictable is when it's randomly inserted into a scene for no real reason, no setup, no creativity, just to try to scare the audience. But the jump scare in itself can be a great thing if properly done. So what makes the Exorcist 3 Hall scene jump scare so great? There are a few things I'm going to mention. First, the scene exists for a reason within the plot. It's not just a random scare. The hospital is the home to a possessing evil spirit from a serial killer who possesses a patient every night and makes him do horrible things. So the scene fits in very well with his plot, right? Second, it uses the fake-out jump scare actually very well. When the nurse enters the room with a glass of water in it, tension is building. It's quiet, she's nervous, the audience doesn't realize that the layout of the room is such that a patient could be lying in bed and we and she don't see, don't, uh, see the patient. So the nurse sees the water as the source of noise. We let our guard down, the audience does, right? We believe that the source of the tension is revealed. And so when the patient sits up, sits up in the bed, we're totally not expecting it. Also, the whiteness of the room, the lack of like the divided, really defined space in the room makes it seem clean and safe, kind of the opposite of a jump scare. And then third, once the patient sits up, we, the audience, believe we've gotten our jump scare because it is startling, right? So then we relax, say, okay, I got through the jump scare. This sets us up for the real jump scare. Uh, tying in with this and the scene in general is the mundane nature of the action up until the scare. It's just a nurse doing her nightly duties, her nightly rounds or whatever, you know. There's security guards in the background that makes us feel more safe and secure and normal. Making the audience feel normal is very important in this scene because the scare is so abnormal and unnatural. Another element that makes the audience feel safe uh, and makes us let our guard down is that the scene is shot from the end of a hall, a narrow hall. The action is all happening in the distance at the other end of the hall compared to the audience. So we feel secure, right? That's, that's way down there. No matter what happens, it's gonna happen over there to those people. And we're gonna sit here at the other end of the hall, safe, warm, comf comfy, cozy, secure, right? Nothing's gonna be coming for us directly. In fact, the point of view almost takes the audience out of the scene as if it's happening to those people over there, not to us which allows us to relax and let our guard down. It's designed to do that. Everything feels so comfortable and natural and normal. Now, the audience at this point knows or suspects that the spirit of the Gemini killer, under the influence of Pazuzu, the demon, is possessing people. So we're thinking if something happens, it's going to be that nurse getting possessed, most probably, or the security guards are going to attack the nurse. We aren't expecting something else entirely to enter the scene. And in fact, that's another result of the end of the hall point of view. The scene, feel, the scene feels uh, complete, like enclosed, right? That's all there is. It trains our eyes to watch the people in the scene down the hall, straight ahead of us, assuming that whatever happens will happen to them. 
<clears throat> now the scene needs those security guards in the background to go away and leave the nurse alone, right? That's, it's setting up and needs her to be alone. It does this in stages. Notice the guards leave, come back for something, and then casually walk out. We're focusing on the nurse so we don't really notice or even think about the guards. It just seems so normal and natural. It's kind of in the back of our minds. So when the nurse checks out the room on the left, we can't see into the room. We're blind to what she sees. So we have to depend on her reaction to know what's going on in that room. She looks in, then comes back out, and that leads us to believe, okay, that, that room's fine. There's a patient maybe in there asleep, checking on them. Uh, she looks in again like she'd missed something, but, but nothing's wrong. She goes, she closes the door. And now the audience just focuses on that room. We feel safe, right? We believe that if anything comes for her, it's going to come out of that room. We're not thinking, maybe we can't even tell that there is that hall right beyond the room that extends to the left. You can't even really tell that there's a hall there. Next, right before the scare, she's walking across the hall left to right. She hasn't changed her pace or her actions or anything else. We have no reason to believe anything's going to change in the scene. It's normal, it's natural. And we certainly don't expect some horrid thing to enter, right? As the thing enters from the left and follows her, uh, there's a few things happening at once that make it most horrifying. First, what the hell is that thing? You know, you only see it for a second. When I first saw the movie, my, my brain kind of captured a snapshot of it, and I thought, what the hell was that? It's, it's, th this is 1990, right? People are watching films more in cinemas. You don't get to rewind it at home as much. So it's a humanoid figure in a white gown and a white hood, and presumably uh, it's a risen corpse from the hospital morgue that the Gemini spirit has possessed. Next, it's wielding a pair of head removal shears that autopsy doctors use to remove the heads of corpses when they, when they need it. This makes its purpose and its desire very obvious, right? It wants to decapitate the nurse. And this is the thought of going about your job normally, then a giant pair of shears slices your head off, and that's it, you're dead. That's a horrifying thought and a horrifying way to die. None of us really feel like we're going to die, you know, in, a, in the average day. We think, oh, that's for later on. But then all of a sudden, you're beheaded. It's terrifying. Next, the gate, the walking gate of the corpse. It walks stiffly like a corpse would, but purposefully, right? It's basically speed walking with the shears held straight out in front of it. It knows what it wants and nothing is going to stop it. That inevitability, that inevitable decapitation is frightening. You can't stop it from coming. Now, I've, I've always argued that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the purest horror film ever made, precisely because it does not use music for jump scares. You hear the shuffling struggle, the thump, you know, and then the, the body falling, and that's it. You hear reality. I think that makes it a work of art for that and other reasons. But Exorcist 3, yes, it does use music for the jump scare. Why isn't this a cheap effect like in some other movies? I think it's actually effective here. Because the appearance of the possessed corpse is so, so uncanny, unfamiliar, um, unexpected, against everything we know, so unnatural, so unwelcome, that the pitched music just adds to that effect. It, it's creepy, weird, uncanny music, right? And it does something to our brain. In some films, the jump scare music is there just to shock the audience because, frankly, the scene is not that scary to begin with. But here, the music kind of follows the scare. It doesn't make up for the scare. It bolsters it. It supports it. It fits in this context. Finally, the jump in scene to the beheaded statue of Jesus tells us all we need to know. The creature succeeded. The nurse was beheaded, right? The statue being Jesus is relevant, of course, because it's a demon directing all of this. 
So there you have it, my great listeners and viewers. I believe the hospital hall scene in The Exorcist 3 is the scariest scene in horror movie history. I hope I've explained my opinion well enough. What do you think? Uh, do you agree with me? Disagree? That's okay. Please comment on YouTube. Like and subscribe also, if you please. Or if you're listening on podbean.com or any other fine podcasting site, feel free to email me your thoughts at matthew.miller.writer at gmail.com. MatthewMillerWriter at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, sleep w- Oh, yeah, wait, one more thing. Now, before you go, I, I wanted to share something with you. I, I remember I, I took a sample of the, the wall behind me, the rust, I think, I think it's just rust, but I sent it off to a lab. It got some very interesting results that you might find a little spooky, I don't know. So let me, go, don't go anywhere, let me grab the lab work, the, uh, the lab report is right over here. Let's see, I think the lab report is right over here. And uh, where did I put that? Oh, no, it's on the other side, let me grab it.